0: Let's Run Nation, those summer runs getting a little harder, you probably need better electrolytes. You got to take advantage of the drinklmnt.com special offer. Get a free sample pack. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. For $5 shipping, get a free sample pack sent to you. I will refund your money if you don't like this stuff. It's electrolytes without junk. No sugar, no gluten, no dodgy ingredients. It's even vegan-friendly. They're the official partner of USA Weightlifting. I used to say I liked lemon habanero. I think orange salt might be my favorite now in the summer. I don't need, you know, too much flavor. It's great. Check it out now. drinkelementycom slash let's run.
1: Welcome, world, to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It's Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, hoping everyone had as good of a week as Timothy Chariot, Nigel Amos, Faith Kip Yagon, Kate Grace, Isaiah Harris, Laura Muir, all Diamond League winners, all running super fast. We've got two Diamond League meets to break down for you, both Monaco and Gateshead. Pre-Diamond League action is in the books, and it's time to get ready for the Olympics. We said on last week's show we would know who the Olympic favorites are. Is that the case? I'll be joined as always by my genetic equal and twin brother, Weldon Johnson, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Galt, who may not have had the best of weeks. More on that in a second, but unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, Unlike the US Passport Office, we want to hear from you. You can actually reach us by picking up the phone 844 let's run. 844 let's run. If you want to leave a secret voicemail for the show, hit extension seven.
2: Robert, we got a couple other things you didn't tee up today. That's what I'm here for. Catch your mistakes. We've got Carl Winter, let's run intern. He comes on. With a social media update, we also get into why Robert Johnson might be more like Jerry Schumacher than you might imagine. And we've also got an interview with Hobbs Kessler, the high school 1500 meter record holder, now pro athlete for Adidas. He was the named the Gatorade National Athlete of the Year in track and field for this year. And we got a 10 minute interview with him at the end of the podcast as well. So plenty of stuff to talk about this week.
1: Well, they going to get me mad if I admit that I'm drinking a Gatorade right now. I just got back from my run. They don't sell LMNT at the local 7-Eleven, so I did buy Gatorades.
0: Robert, people want electrolytes without the junk. That's why they go to drinklmnt.com. And hey, they don't the bottle every time that you have to throw out. Drinklmnt.com. Electrolytes with no sugar.
1: No junk. Jonathan, I said it wasn't a great week for everybody my condolences to the england soccer team i know you're a big fan before the game i texted you to say john please help me understand the significance of this game does it rank from a patriots preseason football game to afc title game to super bowl where does it rank in significance and you put it up there with the super bowl and your team got off to a great start but ended up i mean you had to know it was going to end in, in devastation once it went to penalties
2: Yes, sadly I did. I've tried to fool myself during the shootout. I was thinking like, you know, when Pickford saved and we went ahead in the shootout, I was like, oh my God, if we just make these next three kicks, we win. And then we missed all three kicks. I was like, I was a fool forever believing. Why did I ever hope? So I don't know. It was nice to finally make it to a final. We'd never done that in my entire life. But yeah, of course we lose on penalties again. So it's just a new, you know, we're, we're breaking in the next generation of England fans. We're getting—you know—they haven't had any big penalty heartbreak recently. Our last one was back in 2012, also to Italy. So, we're just getting the new generation used to uh, expecting failure.
1: It's okay, John. I mean, if, if England had won that game, I think we were going to have to suspend you from the website, maybe terminate you because of people talk a lot about privilege. You would have been living a life of total sporting privilege with the seven or eight Super Bowl titles. Now Six. England's. Six, plus Brady, I didn't know if he counted his Tampa Bay title.
2: Absolutely not.
1: Or not. But, uh, you know, it's divided loyalties and stuff. Speaking of voicemails and fans of the podcast, one of our favorite uh, listeners is the fake Josh Kerr, John. And he has called in after the game. And I don't know how this really – I've asked about this in the past. Like, how does it work? Like, you guys are great Britain when you go to the Olympics, but then you – in soccer, you each have your own little team, like Scotland, Wales, and, and, and England. I mean, like, we don't have a Maryland team, a New England team, a Texas team, a South team in soccer. But anyways, Josh Kerr called, and uh, here's what he had to say.
3: Hi, boys. It's a very happy fake Josh Kerr phoning you here. I got confirmation email today. My own shoes are on their way. So thank you very much, Let's Run, and thank you very much to on The shoes will be here soon. You can even say, Jonathan, they're coming home. And a very happy Sunday as well, that's why I'm happy. So, you know, big Josh Kerr, he supports two teams, Scotland and whoever's playing England. Now, you could say that's quite petty, but that's because you've no idea about the centuries of subjugation we've suffered from the Westminster Parliament. Or the inescapable arrogant pomposity of the fans and the media, down there in England, it's ridiculous. And the fact that if you go into a shop in England with a Scottish pound note, they won't take it. It's legal tender, foul. So anyway, I was really delighted, Robert. I got your message. I went to the pub on Sunday. I sat and I watched the game. Spat my pinty at the third minute, but she all came good in the end. Jumped off the bar stool. Big celebration. You know what they say, Jonathan? It's not coming home. It's coming Rome. Hey, anyway, another note is...
1: Well. Wow. There you have it, folks. Fake Josh saying He supports two soccer teams, Scotland and whoever's playing England, and it's not coming home. It's coming to Rome. John, are yeah. you doing okay?
2: I'm doing fine. Look, I, there, I have Irish and Scottish friends. I have people I like from those countries, but... It's just kind of unfortunate that some of these c- country people like, I you know, a lot of Irish people, a lot of Scottish people, they're celebrating like they won because England lost. And it's kind of sad, but for them, it's a reality. I mean, they're never going to win a major tournament or even come close. So for them, the closest thing to a victory is another team beating England in the final. So this is really as good as it gets for them. I guess, congrats, but. We'll be back. We've got a World Cup next year. Let's get to running. Plenty to talk about. Do we start with Gateshead or Monaco? Where do you guys want to go?
0: Well, we had the live instant reaction show for Monaco for subscribers. You need to join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. If you want the daily podcast from the Olympics, it's going to be great. And we have a second podcast every week only for subscribers. So, Monaco was more in the past, John, but I think we have to start there. This Gateshead meet was a B-Diamond League meet. There's no way around it. Kate Grace, Isaiah Harris got some nice wins. Trayvon Burmel, the Olympic favorite in the 100, got a win there. But outside of that, was there really much that's going to move the needle for the Olympics? I think... Mohamed Katia
2: turning into an Olympic medal favorite. I mean, that to me was... That was the performance of the day. Seven twenty-seven out outkicking Stuart McSwain in the 3,000. This guy's now run 328, 727, and 1250, and no one had heard of him before this year. I mean, that that to me was kind of a big a big deal.
0: That probably just validated, right? But if you've run 328 and you've run 1250, shouldn't you be able to run 727? I mean, or beat Stewie McSwain in a 3K? Like, is that really that much of a surprise?
2: Not a surprise, just sort of, or I guess maybe a reminder that this guy's really fit and he's only running the 5K, but... I don't know. I thought that was, that was interesting, at least.
0: He's been 5K at Olympics? That's been decided? Yep. So, I, I mean, I, we could talk about the American wins in Gateshead who aren't running the Olympics, but I, I think we go back to Monaco first.
1: I agree with you, Weldon. And I, I really was thinking about this a lot last night. I was, I was you know, preparing for the podcast and whatnot and trying to think big picture – What did we learn from Monaco? I mean, I think in last week's podcast, we said going in, hey, we don't really have Olympic favorites in very many events. It's going to be a crazy, fun Olympics, but we think we should know a lot more in the Olympics, you know, after Monaco, about the Olympics. And there were a few huge storylines. And I think that the biggest, although it hasn't been confirmed by Athletics Kenya, to me it would be Timothy Chariot's win in the 1500. I mean, obviously the guy wins every diamond league that's run on the circuit, but imagine if this hadn't gone well, imagine if he had finished sixth or seventh, then the, the argument that he should be on the Olympic team really isn't a strong one. Or I, you know, it's not going to be as compelling. It's not going to be a, a mass call for that. Like there is now. So assuming this guy, I mean, it just totally changes everything. He's well, again, I guess we still don't know, but and Alex and has done some really dumb things in the past, but he should be in the Olympics. If he's in the Olympics, it totally changes the event. It greatly damages the, you know, the medal chances for the Americans, I think, because not only is chariot in there, and that's a, a stud that is very hard to beat, he's also almost certainly going to make this a time trial. It's not going to be a tactical jog fest, which would greatly benefit a Matthew Centich or a Cole Hawker. So the American medal chances went way down and Timothy Chariot's medal chances went way up, although he's still not on the team officially.
2: Robert, you said this three times. i got to jump in. I mean, I don't have the breaking news music ready to go, but it came out this morning. Timothy Chariot has been added to the team. Many news outlets have reported this. He's on the team. Kamar Yang, who was 19 or 18. It's kind of unclear, actually, when he was officially born, but he really hadn't run anything before this year, and he didn't have enough out-of-competition tests, so he has been removed, which means... The team is Timothy Chariot, uh Charles Samotwo, who's the Kenyan Trials champion, and Abel Kipsang, who was third at the Kenyan Trials Chariots on the team.
1: Well, hallelujah. I'm excited. And you know, I I, I used to watch those 1500s and root for Kiprop. I just love the way he ran. And I think it would be a real shame if, if Timothy Chariot's never an Olympic champion. That being said, I do love the Americans. I love Centro. I love Hunker. But it's it's gonna be exciting to see like. You know, it's, it's possible. I guess he lets it go somewhat modest for a lap or two, but I'd be shocked if, if, if absolutely stunned if that if the winning time isn't at least 332 in the Olympic final.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I think it's going to be fast. I mean, this guy, he just ran his personal best. The one question I had about Chariot was, is this guy, does he have any la- nagging injuries or anything? And he just ran his fastest time ever on Friday in Monaco. So that to me says, okay, he's ready to go. He's timing his peak. Pretty well. And he, I expect a 329 or a 330 race at the Olympics. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the Americans, Hawker and Centrowitz, respond to that because they haven't been in that kind of race for quite some time. Uh, the other thing from Monaco that I thought was big news, Robert, I'm shocked you didn't leave with this. Your boy, Nigel Amos, gets the win, 142. And he was a guy we knew his talent. He ran 141 in 2019, but they didn't even run Worlds that year. He'd only run one sort of low-key 800 in South Africa in 2021, and he shows up to Monaco, and he wins it in 142. He looks fantastic. And him and Emmanuel Correa kind of looked to cut above everyone else. These are two of the fastest guys ever. Correa's won 142.05 in the past. That, to me, was a big sign that Amos is now... You know, he should be a metal threat. The big question with him is, can he stay healthy? Can he get it done at the championships? But that was, to me, one of the biggest events in terms of, like, someone announcing themselves as an Olympic contender.
1: Yeah, John's been doubting the guy that's run 141 twice in his life, two of the 15 fastest 800s in history. And I really think they're trying to do something different. He's barely been racing. Now, it did come out that he had an injury around the the time of Doha. So I thought this was a, a, a good run for him. Um, I really believe in his talent, but I'm still, I think he's the favorite, but he's got a, a weird stride. I don't know how he would be like sitting in a pack. He's used to running so many of these rabbits races his whole life. Like how many tactical 800s has he run? I really think actually in the Olympics, it's just such a, uh, the hardest thing in track and field is to get into the Olympic 800 final when they go from 24 in the semis down to the eight, it's the top two in each heat. Plus the next two time qualifiers, and I was thinking moving ahead to Eugene, twenty twenty two. It's a nine lane track. I really think they should take nine to the final, the top three in each heat, because you know you can get nipped at the line in an eight hundred, and, and you might be a medalist, but you just the, tactically the way it works, you tie up a little bit or whatever. So if he's in the final, I still think it's a wide open event, <sighs> you know. But I, yeah, I, I was thrilled
4: by that.
2: Well, and the one thing you mentioned, the tactical races, Robert, That's an interesting point because the one race where he actually has medaled in a global championship final was the least tactical race of all time. It was the 2012 Olympic final where Radicia set the world record. Amos was second in 141. You know, if you flash forward, the only other global final Nigel Amos has been in was the 2017 Worlds. That race was won in 145 by Pierre Ambrose Boss. And Amos was only fifth in that race. So getting through the rounds and then – oh, actually, sorry. Boss ran one forty four six seven which is still a slow time for a winning time. Only two guys broke 145 in that race. But it's going to be interesting, is there going to be someone who will take it? Because I do think if this is – if it's like a 141, 142 race, I do think that probably helps Amos in Tokyo.
0: That's a good point, John, because when Robert was pooh Amos and tactical races. I'm like, wait, this guy got the silver medal at the Olympics. But that was the most Diamond League like Olympic final ever. Everyone just sort of time trialed behind Rhodesia. So a lot of question marks for Amos. But I mean, this was a huge step in the right direction. Last week on the podcast, what Amos had run 145 in his only other race. And Carl Winter said, hey, you know, Amos, posted on social media saying on his way to what was it 141 or something like that we're kind of like oh it's got a long way to go well he then drops a 142 in monaco so heading into the olympics it can't be any better than him the other big storyline i think on let's run on the forums back to the men's 1500 Jakob ambrinson getting third and I think the 1500 in general, this deserves a little more comments. Like just with, we mentioned it, but chariots in the race. There's a ton of guys here probably thinking like, wow, that just changed everything. Like Josh Kerr. We had fake Josh Kerr on. Josh Kerr, what's his PB? Is it 331? 331. You know, he's like, oh, wow. What if it's a 329 race? I'm going to think new shoes, everything. He's running so well. He's just been killing it this year. But like without chariot the race that guy's thinking the gold medal he's probably still thinking gold medal but it's just a totally different thing and well robert heard from fake josh kerr i was texting the fake josh kerr this week or last week and he was saying you know all this Ingerbitson and chariot talk edinburgh is gonna go one two in tokyo you heard it here first fake josh kerr here first that would mean jake whiteman would be second but then Jake Whiteman had a bomber of a race in Gateshead. But I think everyone was so focused on Ingerbritzen. He gets third in Monaco in 329. And people in Let's Run are acting like he got like 12th place or something. I think it was, it's, it's a fine run for him. Tokyo's still, what, three weeks away? Probably till he races. Do you have any concerns about Ingerbritzen? And also, 1500 versus 5K, I guess, is the other question.
2: I don't really have any concerns about that race. He ran 329.25, which is an exceptional time. It's the second fastest time of his life. Of the guys who will be in Tokyo, only one of them beat him, Timothy Chariot. The other guy who beat him was Mohamed Katia, who's not running the 1500 in Tokyo. And we know that Ingebrigtsen missed some time because he was sick the week before. He had to withdraw from Oslo, which he obviously would have wanted to run. That's on his home track. So, no, I, I thought Ingebrigtsen was fine. I think he'll be better at the Olympics. And If he's in 329 shape and he'll be better at the Olympics, I, I don't, I'm not really worried. I think the bigger question is, does he try 1500, 5K, or both?
1: Can you pull up the schedule, John, and remind me of how difficult that double is? But, yeah, people were overreacting to that race. I mean, he missed some time, and he runs 329. So let's be honest. like It helps him, that chariots in there, in the sense of uh, to be able to get a medal, like, it may make it harder for him to get a gold medal, but the fact that Chariot's in there, it's it's really hard to see Inger Brinson not meddling in an honest race. All he's got to do is just run faster than everybody. So, but I, I I think I said this maybe on the Friday 15. I I, I just don't know, like, are, is this going to be a situation down the road? I mean, he's amazing at all events. And Mo Ferrer ran a fast 1500, and, but he was a 5K and 10K guy ultimately is this guy going to be a 5k 10k half marathon guy you, i keep hearing about his lactate threshold and how it's off the charts and they have these things so it's possible he could be like a ryan hall or a sarah Hall, kind of in the wrong event i mean not that he's not really good at it but he could be second or third in the world it's like la kipchoge la kipchoge was d- pretty damn good at the f- 5000 and he won one of them but then he couldn't really medal and whatever and then he went. that's to not marathon. true he
2: medaled to that as well. He was just happened to be 2008. He was going up against the greatest 5k runner of all time. Like that Kipchoge was plenty good on the track Robert.
1: He was good on the track, but he was better in the marathon. So is, are we going to find out that Britson's great at the 15, but even better at the five and the 10. That being said, if you are picking one or the other, and you can tell me the double John, he's definitely got go to go the 15, the 5,000. There's just too many. First of all, he's not uh, like he's not beating Katir. Katir just smoked him in this 1500. And the guy looks like, I mean, I don't know. It looks like he's got a turbo button. I mean, I thought he was going to beat Sherry in that 1500. I mean, he, this guy looks like he's, well, I just, I just want to say he looks quite good. Let's, let's leave it at that. And then you've got, you know, guy, Kaplimo, all the Ethiopians. I mean, Wale, my God. Like there's that event, the 5,000, which is the event that world athletics wanted to get rid of is absolutely stagged.
2: It is, but Robert, you're ignoring the fact that Jacob Ingebrigtsen beat a bunch of these guys in Florence. He beat Katia, he beat Mohamed, who medal at the last Worlds, and he beat Joshua Cheptegei, the world record holder, to win Florence in 1248. So he could abs- He's an absolute medical medal contender in that event, and he could win the gold. I, if I were him, I would do the 1500 only. Here's the schedule. But to, let's not pretend that he's not a serious contender to win the gold in the 5K as well. You might even say his chances could be better because I don't think there's one overwhelming favorite in the 5K like there is in the 1500 with Chariot. But the schedule is this. Day five, you've got the 1500 prelims at 9 in the morning. Then you've got the 5K prelims at 8 p.m. at night. Not ideal, but I'm sure he could make it through the prelims in both with you know 11 hours in between. Then you've got a rest day on day six. Day seven is the 1500 semis. Day eight is the 5000 final. Day nine is the fi- 1500 final. So, personally, I think that's, I wouldn't do that. That's too, like, you're running finals on back to back days. You have the se- you have three races in a row with the semifinal of the 15, then the eight, 5K final, and then the 1500 final, three back to back days. That's just a lot. And I feel like these guys are the best of the best. You want to have it be absolutely on your game. That said, it's not inconceivable. Do you guys think that's too tough, or would you just focus on one?
0: It's just hard to pick. And I, I think Safan Hassan's got some tough decisions as well. When, you, when you're when you multi-talented, I mean, how much does it just diminish your chances in one event if you, you know, do you bite off too much to chew? Like at the world last time, he tried both and didn't meddle, And I'm not even sure. I don't think there was any overlap. I would love to see him try to do it, but... I'm I just don't think he probably will. But I forgot, you know, he ran at 1248 and won that race. I mean, that's pretty crazy. But, you know, in that race, you want to nitpick and He got dropped halfway through the race. I mean, he still won it in 1248, but he was off the pace. And that, maybe that also was Chep the guy pushing the pace. So I think there's no way he just runs the 5K. I think if he picks one, he'll run the 15. Otherwise, he doubles.
2: Robert, the master of the schedule. Is this double feasible or would you advise him to do just one event?
1: I want him to do both. I want Hassan to do all three. but I'm not sure. God, I'm glad I'm not coaching him. Yeah, you know, I just like it up. 2019, he got to run the 5,000 first and then come back to the 1,500 t- totally fresh. And the problem here is the 5,000 final is before the 1,500 final, which is his best bet. How much is that going to take out of him? I mean, have to
0: run a 5K final and come back the next day to run the 1,500 final. I think that's too much to ask. I think he's just going to run the 1500. I think he's probably going to just do the 1500. I love seeing people go for greatness, but if it doesn't work, people quickly forget you. No one will say, "Oh, remember that kid," unless he does something in the future. Remember that kid who like flamed out at the Olympics? Oh, like Fred Curley. We all thought, I think that's an interesting one. We can maybe talk about him a bit. He ran at Gateshead. He was the bronze medalist at the last World Championships in the 400 he started dropping these nine 900s this year out of nowhere announces i'm running a and at the u.s trials and people are like you're crazy he then makes the team at 100 and ran well in the 200 but didn't make it and people are like oh that's the right decision well now he's getting beat in these diamond league meets maybe he can medal at the olympics but it's going to be very iffy And if he comes at the Olympics and let's say he's a seventh place finisher in the hundred, is anyone going to remember Fred Curley?
2: Maybe not, but I mean, would he have medaled in the 400? I guess, but there's maybe you don't know. We don't know. He he might've got fifth in the 400. So it's kind of, you can't really compare against what you don't know, but I guess that's what this whole podcast is about. Right. We compare and we try to think about hypothetical scenarios.
1: Jacob. Um, It's just, uh, I'm thinking maybe do the double now. I don't know. We're assuming he just gets the silver medal in the 1500. I mean, can't Josh Kerr beat him? Josh Kerr's pretty damn good. Centroids beat
3: him.
2: Yeah, you can't assume anything, but you're trying to think what's most likely. And I think if Chariot turns it into basically a pure fitness test, which I kind of think it will be, Chariot, has been the number two guy in the world in Diamond Leagues the last two years. So I think it's reasonable to assume he would be most likely silver medalist.
1: Well, someone else who wants a medal is Josh Kerr. And by the way, there was a thread on the message board about, is Josh Kerr the chunkiest 331 1500 meter runner ever? Folks, we don't let you talk about a woman's body type, but as men, we do let you talk about men's body types and let's run. Just the rules. It's kind of like certain words, certain people ought to say. As, As men, we're saying that you can comment about someone's body type if you do it in a nice way. But fake Josh Kerr, had a few comments about that. He saw that message board post and had this to say about it.
3: Oh, chunkiest 331 runner ever. That's my new favorite oxymoron. I can't wait though. I'm waiting for the chunkiest gold medal winner thread. Make sure you post that, pal, when you get uh, when you get to see the Olympics there. All right, boys. It's time to go. Robert, I hope you've got your uh, passport. We'll see you in Tokyo. This is a very happy Josh Kerr. And see you later, boys. And Jonathan,
1: ciao. Well, I love that guy. But I, I kind of wish that – I'm going to cheer it in the Olympics, but I kind of wish he wasn't because I think Josh Kerr might have won it. I don't know why I'm so high on Josh Kerr. Maybe it's because just fake Josh Kerr. It gets me so pumped. But I loved it. You know, chunkiest gold medalist ever. So apparently Josh Kerr's brother is a professional rugby player. So I just think he looks strong and powerful. I don't think of him as looking as chunky – But, you know, the average runner looks so emaciated. I mean, the nickname that Weldon and I and a couple other guys had for Bob Kennedy back in the day. Bob Kennedy was the American record holder in the 5000, had the lead in the final 800 of the 1996 Olympics. Um, 1258 guy, America's first sub 13 minute 5000 guy was we called him baby fat Bob because he had a little bit. Of like rounded cheeks, which was unusual for distance runners. So it shows you all types of bodies can compete in this part.
2: All right, last thing about Monaco I wanted to hear. I mean, I don't know, maybe you guys have other topics, but we're talking about things that really change, shake up the Olympic picture in terms of favorites and that sort of thing. We have to talk about the women's 1500. I mean, Faith Kipigon just smacking down Stefan Hassan, running 351. Before that race, we were talking about, well, Hassan seems like she's the favorite. She could be the favorite in the 15 and the five and the 10. And that race just showed me she's no longer the favorite in the 15 because Faith Beyond was way better than her on the last lap, 35107, missed the world record by a second. I mean, this I think this changes the calculus and the decision making for Hassan. You know, if you're really, I think if she was the clear favorite in all three events, trying the triples at least, you know, you could at least sort of rationalize it. At this point, I think her best bet. I would love to see her do the triple. That's the most entertaining option as a track fan. But in terms of like maximizing her metal haul, I think 5k, 10k is just the obvious choice for her.
1: I disagree. She wants to maximize her metal haul. She stays in the triple. And I love what she had to say about this before the Monaco meet. Here it is. I say life is not about medals. It's not about gold. It's also about history. I made the decision to run the 1500 in Doha, even though I didn't know it was possible because nobody had done it before, the 1500, 10,000 double. Well, no one's ever done the triple. And if she wants to maximize her metal hauls, she runs all three. Yes, she got beat by fifth KPA gun. Who else in the world can run three fifty? One, one, nobody, maybe, maybe Hassan. So th- th- those are clearly the f- people that are going to go one, two in the 1500. I actually thought Hassan looked injured in this race. Her stride looked off. I'm glad that she didn't run Gateshead. I hope she can see a chiropractor or something. Get a little bit of work done, but no to, to maximize her metal hole. She does all three. I mean, she may not beat Kip Yagon, but it's possible she does, but you run the, the, the 15 and the five, you just, you run the 5,000 prelim on day one. Then you run the 1500 prelim on day four in the morning and the 5000 final. The 5000 final is going to be very hard. It's loaded. You got Sege in there. It's, it's not going to be easy. You got three Ethiopian women that are under, run, run under 14, 15. But th- then you've got the rest of the 1500 on day six and eight. So you got a day off, day six and then eight. And then day nine, come back for the 10,000. So I-, I think she'll medal in all three. May not win gold in any of them, but could easily win gold in two of the three.
2: And I guess maybe the metal hole thing. Well, you're just acting as if this is fine. This isn't a tremendous workload that no one has attempted in recent history. I mean, it's good at these ways when she's racing, what her sixth race of the games on day nine of the 10,000, you don't think that might might take a toll on her.
1: Let me talk about this, John, when you're a three fifty-one miler, excuse me, 1500 meter runner, and you got to go run a prelim and you got to run it in, with a bunch of four-minute runners, you think that's hard? It's like a 410 runner in high school destroying a 420 runner. It's not very hard for them. So I don't think the prelims and any of this stuff is going to tire her out at all.
0: But mentally, you have to do it, Robert. There's a lot of mental energy. They have to go to and from the track. It's the Olympics. There's a lot of logistics. It's not easy. For the casual observer, Sifan at the Worlds in 2019 pulled off the unprecedented double, 1,500, 10K. No one's ever skipped over the 5K like that. People are like, wow, that's crazy. And then we looked, and now the Olympic triple is possible. Back to Monaco. With about 200 to go, I'm thinking, like, wow, she's going to win this thing. And, like, the triple is for sure going to happen. And then Faith kipiegan she's the reigning Olympic champion, gets this huge PR, just crushes her the final 100. So, because you lose to the best 1,500-meter runner in the world, I don't should it really influence your thinking I don't think so I'd still love to see her do it I don't <sighs> for whatever reason I don't so which one do you take out then
2: 15. what's the order you run the 5k 10k it's the easiest double and the other thing let's remember I mean Safana never even won an Olympic medal if I'm going there I mean she, if her things about trying big things fine that that's her prerogative but like I'm just saying if it was me I'd go 5K, 10K, try to win both of them. I think she would be favorite to win both of them. You get two Olympic gold medals out of it. That's pretty cool.
1: No, 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 no. You would do the 15, 10. The five thousands loaded, John. You don't want to touch the game that...
2: What do you mean the 5,000? I mean... That's harder to What's me. Okay, so it's R and G'day. In I the mean,
1: 1,500, she's guaranteed to get the silver medal. In the 5,000, she could win. Her odds for winning are probably... Well, I don't know if they're really higher. There's more people in it.
2: Do you not think she's the favorite in the 5,000?
1: Well, I'm just know that G'day destroyed the world record holder. So why? What, and G'day's are also almost as fast in the 1,500. I think she's probably the favorite, but.
2: G'day didn't. Dis- you mean Sagai destroyed the world record holder in Ethiopia back in April? Sagai, so, yeah. yeah. Hassan, Hassan's the favorite, though. Like, I think those women are really good, but I think she's the best.
0: Well, I th- I'm sick of these guarantees you guys are offering. Robert just guaranteed that she gets the silver medal. Laura Muir is pretty good. I think John guaranteed Donovan Brazier was on the Olympic team and guaranteed a few other things. You guys need to stop the guarantees. Stop, like Robert said last week, it'd take his life if something didn't happen. You guys just need to back off a bit. There's a reason. There aren't a lot of upsets in running, but there's a reason they run the races. And I just can't wait till the entries come out so I can quit speculating about this. But...
1: Well, we're not going to know because she's going to be entered in all three.
0: Okay. Well, we talked about this at length on the Friday 15. We can't talk about her forever. Let's move on. Let's keep the ball rolling here.
1: Okay. Let's talk about the other big event in, in, in Monaco, the steeplechases. Like, I just don't know what to think about this. On the men's side, I think Elba is the favorite for the Olympics. Obviously, he hasn't been racing recently, but he's really good. He was competitive when Caprudo and Jago were in there. I think he's a strong favorite. I think the best steepler chaser in the world, though, maybe Germa. He's not in the race. He was hurt at the Ethiopian trials, but he was able to kick a lap early in Monaco and still run what 905, John?
2: 807.
1: Excuse me, 807. He's got to be close to like low eight shape if he had done that right. So um, but you know, you watch Emma Cobra, and that was the story from the American perspective. She's getting up there in age. I think people assumed. That Evan Jager would break eight minutes, and that doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Emma Coburn has been so good for so long, but she's 30 years of age. This was her best chance to break nine. Low 70-degree temperatures. She needed a 70 last lap. She needed a 33 for the final, well, from the 200 mark, which is less than 200, and just fell down. She may have gotten it, maybe not. She might have run like nine flat again. I think her PR is actually 902, right, John? Yeah. But might have just missed it if she hadn't fallen. But it's possible she could have gotten in. But what do we think of this event? I mean, I think a few months ago, I was like, I don't think she's going to medal. And the crazy thing is, I think she could win the gold medal. Which is shocking, but I guess Matthew Center would say that. John, think about this. I know she's a, a, a past world champion, but she never wins on that circuit. Hasn't it been seven or eight years since she's won a Diamond League race? She's won one Diamond League race in her life, correct?
2: That's correct. And that was back in 2014.
1: And then she won the world when, when the other woman, when the heavy favorite missed the water jump. So, like, I was thinking about that. Like, what are the odd, like, it's amazing. I know it's it maybe in some ways could be a little bit easier to win the, the Olympic gold than the, some sort of these diamond races because there aren't as many African runners. But, like, Centroids and her don't win on the circuit, but they both have these global golds, which is pretty, pretty fascinating. But she's looking good. Her fitness is good. I think she's got to be encouraged by that. Um, and it doesn't look like the Kenyan woman, who I think might be the favorite for the gold, is going to be running. John, have we gotten an update on that?
2: No, she. there is no... uh, Like, Robert, she didn't run the Kenyan trial. She's not on the team, nor Gerudo. She's not going to be at the Olympics. Like, I don't understand how many times we have to clarify this for you.
1: Okay, well, I want to contact her agent or somebody to figure out what is going on with her. I mean, why wouldn't you... If you're not going to... She just she can't get citizenship for Uzbekistan, so she's just...
2: It's Kazakhstan. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. I need to reach out to the agent or something. Look, Hyven Kiang right now, who won this race, she's the Olympic favorite. Koban... I mean, Robert, the thing about Coburn, though, is she always gets it. She, she peaks so well. She's always at her best at the championships, maybe outside of 2015, when I think she could have could have medaled and didn't. But she got the bronze in 2016. She won in 2017. She got the silver in 2019. She's going to be in right around nine flat shape at the global championships and run close to that in the final. And that's what it takes to medal. So she was fourth in this race in 909 with a full I think she's she's going to be in the mix. Is she locked to medal? No, because Kiang's there. Beatrice Chipkowicz is kind of a shell of her 2018 form, but she still ran 904. She's still one of the best in the world. Winfred Yavi, who was fourth in Doha. She's third in this race. She beats Koban too. And then you've got the Ethiopian Trials champion, Makides. Oh, I need to... Makides Abebe. Uh, she's going to be in there as well. So that's that's five like legit medal contenders. Gessa Kraus is always around in these races as well, though she got beat pretty convincingly by Coburn. But I, I trust the championship history of Coburn, and I think she's pretty fit right now.
1: I agree. I mean, to to me, the other woman I don't have all, all the confidence. I mean, Kalyang's beaten Coburn about two to one when they've raced, and she beat her here, so she should be the favorite. Chip Kowich, though had been dropped, but. She's run 844 in the past. She just lowered her seasonal best from 910 to 904. If she's actually getting into form and peaking, that could be scary. But to me, the real wild card is the Ethiopian. Makedis Abebe Demowitz. I mean, she's only 19. She ran 902, national record. You know, it's kind of like the men's Ethiopia didn't used to have good seaports, now they've got some. She ran 902 on May 28th. Then won Hengelo, the Ethiopian trials on June 8th, and there's not race. So one race in April. One race in May, one race in June. Nothing since. For all we know, she's hurt. For all we know, she's amazing and crushing it. We don't have any idea for this woman. PR coming into the year was 925. She could be, you know, but if you're looking for someone who's going to be dominating the event for the next five or 10 years, this would be her at her age. So that's a real wild card there, which makes things interesting. But for the men's side, I was so disappointed in Hilary Bohr. I really thought he was going to be a potential gold medal favorite, and he showed me absolutely nothing in Monaco.
0: That, that, just those words are absolutely crazy. Hilary Bohr gold medal favorite? He's done nothing to show that he has any indication to be a gold medalist in any event. The wheelhouse you need to be a gold medalist Hilary Bohr does not possess. You got to be a nine minute steepler to be a gold medalist. To think that he, you thought he'd be the gold medalist, like that's just the most wishful thinking. I'm shocked those words just came out of your mouth.
2: Well, Weldon's pulling a robot there saying that you need to be a nine minute steepler to be a gold medalist. But y- you disagree, John? I think you need to be an eight minute steepler to be a gold medalist on the men's side.
1: Don't be an ass, John. Everybody knows what. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was just saying, you made the same mistake. Like I, that's kind of my role in this show, right?
1: That's normally, folks, that's normally the case. But if you look at it, the fastest anyone's run this year is 8.07. And Hillary, true or false, Weldon, normally the winner of the steeplechase comes from what country? Kenya. And when Hillary Bohr wrecked everybody at the gates of Diamond League, the first one, he beat the Kenyan Trials champion. So that's why I thought, well, if he's spanking the Kenyan Trials champion and he's in sub eight, he thought he was an 8.05 shape. If he's in 805 shape and better than the top Kenyan, he's a gold medal contender, whether you like it or not. You know, but Al Bacali, look, I shouldn't just To me, he's the heavy gold medal favorite in this race. He's run 331 in Doha on May 28th, and then he ran 808 in Florence. Assuming he hasn't been hurt since then, he's got a 758 PB. He should wreck the field in this race. he He... I don't know why we're selling him short. The more I think about him, he's the heavy, heavy gold medal favorite. Anyone else would have been there for second.
2: All right. Any lasting thoughts on Monaco? We spent quite a while on this right meet. We've got another diamond league to discuss maybe some other topics. Anything else on this race? All right, let's move on to Gateshead. I mean, Gateshead, we kind of mentioned that this was on Tuesday. This is the final diamond league before the Olympics. There are a couple interesting things here. I mean, there are a lot of Olympians who weren't competing. A lot of the Americans here won't be at the Olympics, uh, though Bryce Hopple and Clayton Murphy were both here in the 800 men's hundred Trayvon Bromel. He looked back to like his normal self in Monaco. He kind of stumbled early and only ended up fifth here. He didn't get a great reaction to the gun, but somehow he was already red head of the field about 30 meters and just destroyed everyone ran nine, nine, eight. The time wasn't anything special, but he crushed the rest of this field. He looked very good. I think he's still, I mean, we he's the Olympic favorite, right? I know he lost to Ronnie Baker, and Ronnie Baker's good in Monaco, but you bet on Bromel to win in, in Tokyo, right?
0: 100%. I mean, he's definitely the favorite. I mean, the times were slow, but it was like cold British weather, so I, I think you never put too much into sprint times in England.
2: And then in the other events, you know, we have wins, Isaiah Harris and Kate Grace, neither of whom are going to the Olympics, both won diamond league races here. Now they were not the deepest diamond league fields. I would say, you know, because was an 800, we had an 800 in Monaco on Friday. That was really the big 800. There was a mile, but there was a 15, you know, that was Kate Grace won the mile 4:27. There was a big 1500 in Monaco. That was kind of the big race as well. So, these weren't like super deep fields, but they still looked good winning it. The 800, I thought was the most interesting thing because Isaiah Harris beat two of the guys who beat him at the US trials, Bryce Hopple and Clayton Murphy, who are only fifth and sixth, both in 145. And Robert has has this take. He, I don't know, we, he unfolds it. Robert, can you give us your Clayton Murphy take? You're not concerned about him, right?
1: No, I was reading the message board after the race. And someone says like, look, he's training through these things. You know, he did a workout. He he ran in Monaco on Friday and then did a workout on Saturday. And I said, how do you know this? And he says, check out his Instagram. So I went to Clayton Murphy's Instagram. I don't like following all these runners on Instagram. It's almost too much information out there nowadays. But, um, you know, it was actually a, a pretty cool clip on, on the Instagram where it showed him doing a workout. I showed him doing on a workout on the Monaco track. He went back to the stadium and they let him in to the track, and he actually was doing also running. Like it looked like he was running 200 or 400 Also running on the track with him was the meet director, this guy Remy, who looks good. His form's beautiful. It kind of looks like Clayton Murphy. So kind of a cool video. We'll link to that in the show notes. This Instagram post, but he said in there went back to the stadium this morning. Got in the session to keep the workout as all eyes are on Tokyo. Monaco was a tough race, super unhappy with my positioning, but overall 144 is solid. So he's focused on Tokyo. I thought in these three races, I mean, to me, it's kind of depressing in the sense of like a bunch of these Americans went over to Europe and nobody ran particularly well. So it's going to just support the Jerry Schumacher idea of like, why should we race? And there were another number of Americans that were supposed to race that didn't go right. Benjamin, Ajay Wilson, Ellie Perrier were all originally in these races in Monaco. None of them showed up. And you can kind of see why. People are emotionally tired, maybe physically tired. But when I saw that Murphy's, if you think about it, Murphy missed some time. He said he barely ran before the trials, like the week before the trials because of injury. So the fact that he's healthy enough to race three times in a week is a good sign. The fact that he's training through this. I mean, in all of these races, I'm like, he's right there. He's got good positioning, you know. And then he just doesn't have it in the last 150. So he looks so good in that 143.17. I do think that, you know he is i would say let me think about this yeah i would say he's america's on the men's side certainly our best gold medal hope am i right about that and then on the women's side obviously it's all thing mo so i think in the 800 is by far our best chances for a gold
2: that's interesting we do have the defending champion in the men's 1500 um I would I'd say you're probably right there Robert and I I'm like you I think this is the correct take I'm like he was not running amazingly you know his last 800 before the trials his last 800 he ran 147 and had nothing left the last 150 just like we saw in a couple of these races in Europe but he's running 144 and 145 he's a guy who knows how to get through the rounds I'm not really all that worried by these results I think he's got that with the yeah, you know, with his early season, he always had the trials in mind. Now he's got the Olympics in mind. I, I do have faith that he'll he'll make the final. And then pretty much anything can happen. But yeah, I'm going through, I mean Steeple, I don't see any of those guys winning the gold. We just explained. Five K, ten K, no way. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Murphy, Centrowitz, or Hocker. Those are kind of the three I mean, those are the three guys with the best chance of a gold, I think.
1: Best chance. I and mean, that's a small chance. I mean, Hawker's going to take down Ingebrenston and share. My God, the message board would officially explode. I think that there would be no more let's run because the traffic would go through the roof.
0: Is everybody forgetting the Rupster in the marathon? He's primed for the heat. Alberto is. We're ho- talking about
1: track. I think rupp has got a better chance than almost everybody. Oh, that's interesting. Is Rupp's higher than all these other guys? Maybe we going to be
0: Kipchoge? Like, I mean...
1: Kipchoge has an off day. Who knows? You know Rob's going to have the... Speaking of Kipchoge,
0: I just thought of this. And this comes up later in the social media segment. Athletes are complaining about the bed situation in Tokyo. But I'm not sure, actually, the beds are tiny little twin beds. And I was thinking because of COVID, people aren't allowed to get their own private hotel rooms. But maybe that's not the case. Do we really think the dream team is going to be sleeping in these little bitty beds? I assume, actually... Maybe they you can get your own hotel room separately, but John, if every athlete is let's say for argument's sake every single athlete at the Olympics is assigned to a little twin bed, like Centrali isn't used to doing that, but you know who is, Elliot M.F. Kepchoge. Yes, we will put a link to this. Like this guy lives the most Spartan lifestyle. When they're at the training camp, like my office here is not very wide. The, the room he sleeps in is tiny. He's the Olympic champion. He makes millions of dollars. You can reach, uh, I think, if you tried, you for sure could lie across the room and hit both walls. And he has a roommate with another twin bed. I mean, like, we'll put a link to this. It's crazy what these guys go through. But they're used to a little more adversity. So if everyone is screwed with the sleeping arrangements, that'll be good. And when you guys were talking about Coburn earlier, I think she's her second best hope for medals on the woman's side. I think Mo is definitely the favorite in the distances. And then I go with Coburn.
2: For a gold or for a medal?
0: Any medal. And gold. Yeah, but. it's
2: probably her. Though I think pretty much any of the 800 trio. And then Ellie. Par- I think Ellie Puryear actually has a good chance
0: in the 15. But I still like Coburn better.
2: No, I agree. I think it's Mo than Coburn.
0: Robert was talking, uh, you know, about Murphy going back to the track in Monaco. You know who else or what else was in Monaco, guys? The Let's Run.com t-shirt. It made its Monaco Diamond League debut. Let's Run visitor Avinash Maniyam from New Jersey was there sporting the Let's Run.com shirt. And he's going to be, I don't know what we call it, the visitor of the week. He gets a free pair of On shoes their choice. On sponsored our Road to the Trials. And we're rewarding great visitors in the lead up to the Olympics. So, Avinash, check your email. You can pick out your free pair of on shoes.
1: Yeah, we want to see pictures of, of you guys and gals in your shirts. Email them to shop at letsrun.com. If you love the podcast, you can get a bonus podcast every week. Shop, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. And also, virtual race. I'll be running it. From Tokyo, August 7th, folks. I don't know. Race me. I'm doing a 5K, but you can do a 10K, have marathon. You can do a bike race. It's all virtual. But go to goforthered.org. You're going to support the Red Cross. It's a great charity. Goforthered.org. Virtual race, August 7th. Um, and join Team Let's Run slash Team Johnson. So let's run Team Johnson. Goforthered.org. It's going to be fun. A bunch of my ex-Cornell runners did it last week. I, I was shocked. I was beating these guys. Former collegiate D1 athletes smoked them last year in my five K and I put John I need you to coach me up. I'm probably have to do it on a treadmill because they won't let it will they even let us run in Tokyo? I've no. got a good excuse. We can't run outside? No. Wait, do we have a treadmill?
2: I
0: don't know.
1: What if our hotel doesn't have a treadmill? Oh my god. Are
0: all the media gonna be locked in their hotel rooms? This could be a disaster for PR. And yeah, you know, Robert said it'll be in Tokyo. Not if he doesn't get a passport. If anyone on the podcast like works at the State Department or a Senator's office that can help Rojo out please email robert at let's run.com.
1: Yeah, I'm, start, I'm starting to get nervous. We're less than two weeks from supposed departure date. And I read on Reddit that you could, that the State Department, you can get an appointment if you're two weeks out, but you have to put, make the appointment three days before you travel. But I read that they update their website at 2 a.m. So last night I set my alarm for one fifty nine, and I, tr- I hit refresh a bunch of times at 2 o'clock. Nothing showed up. And then I did it again for 5 a.m. Because the person posting this about 2 a.m. was in the West Coast. So then I thought it might be 2 a.m. West Coast time. No go there. So, yeah, seriously, if you work for the State Department, particularly New Orleans, my, my, my application has been accepted. It's in New Orleans right now. So, so congressman, someone, someone's someone got to be a congressman or a senator on here. <laughs> Help
2: me yeah, out. I mean, there's a hundred senators, right? Chances are at least one of them listens to us, right?
1: Well, there's a lot. Of, I guarantee you there's Olympians listening to this, and there's way more Olympian, there's way more U.S. congressmen than there are Olympic runners, at least from the U.S. So, you know, that should work out. All right. Let's talk about, I want to talk a little bit about these, you know, Kate Grace, a Yale like Weldon, has gone over to Europe and run quite well after finishing, what, seventh at the U.S. trials. She's went over to one Oslo, 800 60 PB, when the was third in Stockholm, another PB, one fifty seven thirty six. Third in Monaco, one fifty seven twenty. Another PB. So three eight hundred PBs in a row. And then she finishes her European with a, I mean, four twenty seven miles. Not fast for her, but destroyed the field yesterday. She's been running great, but I mean, she's not going to the Olympics. I think some people are like, oh, I wish Kate was on the Olympic team. And I, I mean, this is just the reality. Like. Well, it'd be great if she was on the Olympic team, but I don't think she's better than the three that we have on the team. So I certainly don't want her on the team over one of those three. Do you guys? Like if you're trying to max, if we were dictators and could maximize the U.S. medal chances, would you put her on the team over one of the three?
2: No, I just, you, I mean, one, she got beat at the trials. I think now we're maybe seeing she, I at the time I wasn't sure if it was a bad tactical race or she just wasn't you know, quite as good at them. I think now more and more we're seeing she didn't run a great tactical race at the trials, and that might have cost her. But it might did that cost her a spot on the team? I'm I don't think so, not necessarily, because the thing mo has run 156. She's not better than a thing mo. I mean Raven Rogers and RJ Wilson are both world class. They both medal the last global championships. I'd still want them on the team over Kate Grace. And one of the reasons, like Kate Grace is still running fast, but you know, you don't think if Raven Rogers and a Thing Mo and RJ Wilson came over to Europe and were running the same races that they couldn't also be running 157 and finishing the top three I think they could but they're not here so then the focus shifts to grace the competition isn't quite as good and she's able to ch- to shine that's not to minimize what she's doing but I think those three are our best 800 runners.
0: Agree, one hundred percent. The U.S. team was hard to make. Kate Grace is winning some nice races. The races she's winning are the non-stacked ones. The stacked race in Monaco, she got third, I think. Running well, but, but no way is she touching a thing. Mo Raven Rogers has still run faster than her this year, and Ajay Wilson is like so much more credentialed. Like no way do I kick any one of them off. We've got the best three on the U.S. team already. It's like it's nice what Kate's doing, but. She already had her Olympic glory. I'm a cake race fan. I mean, I'm a proud Yale alum. She made the Olympic final last time. I, I think she's very good with the rounds. I wouldn't, you know, if she were at the Olympics, I would expect her to do well, but she didn't make the team. And, I, and even as well as she's running now, I still don't put her on the team, even if I could.
1: I agree with you. I don't even know if you all would have the same take as me. It seems like some people on the message board are kind of all into this thing. I don't want to, the fields she's winning are not the most stacked at all. I don't want to call them watered down, but the reality is in Europe, she's already lost to, look, she was eighth in the Olympic final, you know, five years ago. She's already lost to four women in Europe. And none of those four are named, and we're not even talking intersex women. So she was eighth when there was intersex women. She's already lost to four women in Europe. And then she hasn't, the three Americans aren't even there. So that's another three. So that would be seven. And, you know, including she's losing to women who aren't even going to be running the event. Like Laura Muir. And but what's interesting is there's a lot of depth in the eight hundred. And I want to give a shout out to O'Cell's Sadie Henderson at this meet. I don't forget what was it? What was it? The Under Armour Sound Running Meet or something like that. She lowered her PB from 201.23 to 158.62 in one race. So she skipped the two minutes and 159s. So um, she was a two oh two runner in college. She's like 25 years of age. Good run for here. But this got me looking. I was like, aren't there a lot of 158s out there? Because when I did my preliminary data on the shoes, it didn't look like the the shoes impacted the 800. And I don't know if they do or not, but what's going on in the women's 800 is crazy. I want you guys to guess how many women have run under 159 in the world this year in the 800. Jonathan.
2: 35.
1: Weldon.
0: I know Sadie's number 20, so
1: 30. Wow. The answer, according to Telestopia, is 25. Now, how does that compare to years past? Well, yesterday, last year there was only seven, but that was COVID. But then going back after that, 2019, 13, 2018, 14, 17, and 2017, 18, and 2016, 15, 18, and 2015, 9, and 2014, 10, and 2013, and 14, and 2012. So you go back 10 years you know way less 17 18 13 14 etc you know it's just like the shoes is a, more people are trying it cuz castor and them aren't there maybe some of these 1500 maybe it could be part of it could be honestly some of these four flat women are like I can't medal when all these 351 women are there maybe I should try the 800 maybe I could be like or more maybe I can run 157 158 and get lucky and get a medal but I don't think that's going to be the case uh it was interesting I looked up the Try to find a corresponding time for the men to see if we saw a big jump and we don't really see it a number of men under 144 this year for the 800 and this is normally the type of stuff i used to write in the week that was i've gotten a little bit lazy and i've been doing this podcast instead of the week that was but there's 13 men under 144 this year um 2019 there were 13 as well 2018 10 2017 remember that year when boss came out of nowhere to win the olympics only five guys broke 144 in the year 2016 it was 14 2015 is 13 so this is a pretty standard year there's normally 13 or 14 guys running 143 well we've already got 13 so maybe we'll get a few more at the olympics but um pretty standard year. i actually looked up similar stats in the 1500 number of people under four flat we've got nine so far this year um that's pretty standard 2019 it was 13 2018 it was nine 2017 six nine eight seven four and under 330 for the men We've got four people that have done it this year. Three did it last year. One did it in 2019. Two did it in 2018. Two did it in 2017. Only one did it in 2016. So when Matthew Sintich won the gold, there was only one runner that year under under 330. So it was an off year. He wins it, an off year, and the 800 Bosse wins it. Um, 2015, 2014, there were six guys, though, that did it. So it's kind of interesting Just stats there.
0: And this Sadie Hidder thing, I was looking at her stats, it's pretty crazy. She didn't make it out of the first round of the U.S. trials. She ran 202.40, and now she, she, she runs a 1,500 after that, after that and drops a eight six. So, keep believing in yourselves, people. Dreams do become right. reality. Just not the Olympic dreams.
2: Guys, I want to have the Mohammed Katia conversation. I know we already talked to him about, about him a little bit. Weldon... Then- You don't seem interested in this topic. I mean, I just feel like everything I've seen on social media, or let's run, there's one thread saying he's the most obvious doper in history. There's another thread saying, here's why I think he's clean. We had someone from Spain email us earlier this week, basically explaining, you know, I want to believe in him. I think we've made strides as a country the last 10 years, but there's still doubts. I mean, just what do we make of it? Because he was born in Morocco. We know Morocco has a bad history of anti-doping, but he also moved to Spain when he was five. He doesn't have any, like, there's no suspicion about him other than the fact, you know, his nationality and his times. His progression is crazy. 3.36, now he's around 3.28. But, like, I don't know. It's kind of one of the unfortunate things about our sport is some na- countries have bad anti-doping records, and so... When they have another superstar come on the scene, immediately the conversation is about doping, and that's really all I've seen. I, he did after his race; he put his fingers in his ear, in Gateshead. I don't know whether that was just him saying, "I'm tuning out all the noise" or something. But I feel like anytime I discuss this guy with fans, people are like, "Well, do you think he's doping or not?" And you don't get that with every you know every top athlete in every event. So you know, what do you guys make of this
0: situation? It just comes with the territory of our sport. You go from thirteen fifty to twelve fifty in one year. It's like that's unfathomable. But he didn't run the five k until this year. I mean, that's my only take there. The fifteen hundred, he's come from what three thirty six to three twenty eight. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I I would need to like go back and sort of historically see has anyone done this. Of course, you're suspicious as hell. It just comes with it. The drug testing's better than it ever has been. Um, I don't think some wonder. I don't know. Obviously I'm super suspicious, right? But the more I think about it, like there's other people doping. You pop somebody in some wonder drug and they don't drop that sort of time. So it's got to be more. I, I just don't, I don't know. What do you want me to do, John? I don't have a crystal ball.
1: I I was trying not to bring it up. So I don't want to get sued, but earlier, but John, I don't think that it's just, you said there's nothing else suspicious. I was reading the thread about him. I mean, I think his agent is suspicious. His work, some, some, some people that have,
2: who's this agent, questionable
1: past. But part of this, if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and which is what we need to do is, I mean, the drops in times are just crazy, but last year was a COVID year. So what would he have run if it hadn't been for COVID? Now, the problem was though, he did run, you know, he was racing, he he ran a bunch of races. He he ran 336 on August 24th and got 4th in the race. Then he ran 337 and got 3rd. Then he ran 3 he ran the national championships at the end of September and got 3 and 346 and was 7th. Um you know, he was running 749 for 3000 and getting 7th. So he did run 744 at the end of the year, but just the big jumps in time. So, you know, he is at the age where you would be improving at 23, but I, I think it's just He's been racing a ton too, John, and he looks so good. Now, some people say you can tell who's doping by the celebrations. I like the guy's personality. He seems to be enjoying it. He's like filming selfies with him and Timothy Chariot at the finish line of Monaco. Did you guys see that video?
2: Robert, this theory, this—you have so many theories. This is one of the stupidest theories I've heard that you can tell if someone's doping based on how they react after a race. I just think it's ludicrous. I don't know who came up with this theory, but it's—I oh, don't think
1: it's true. But I'm just saying, like, if he is a doper, at least he's a more entertaining doper than some of these sourpusses.
2: I just feel like that it's just a bummer that. You know, if he gets caught for doping, then we all say, oh, "Oh, why? Why would he? Why we ever believe in a guy like? Look at the progression. Look at it. You know, his history. This sort of thing." But then, if he doesn't, then you feel bad because, you know, there is everyone does deserve the benefit of the doubt, right? And if people are just looking like, "Oh, well, he's he was born in Morocco and he competes for Spain," and look at their history, you know, of, of doping and look at his progression, it's just. It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's unfortunate what drugs have done to the sport that, you know, you have some of these athletes and you just can't believe it. I don't know. It's, it, puts this, it puts everyone, I think, in an awkward position.
1: The number one phrase I like to say, and I'll repeat it, if something in running seems too good to be true, it normally is. So I think your suspicions are real. I don't want to say a whole lot more than that. Or I, I don't think real is the right word. Are, you'd be an idiot not to be wondering what you're wondering, John based on the, you know, the past history of the sport. Does that mean anything specifically about him? No. And that's just why people act like this is black and white. It's not. Just because Shelby Houlihan has tested positive, that doesn't mean that she's a doper. Just because R.J. Wilson tested positive, that doesn't mean that she's a, a doper. Just during Lawson, same thing. But also, just because you haven't tested positive, doesn't mean you're not a doper either. I don't even think the thread was saying this guy's not even in the out-of-competition testing pool, at least at the beginning of the year. So if
0: that's the case. I might be more shocked by this. This guy lost the Spanish 5K championships this year. How? It was a slow race. You think a 328 guy would win a slow race? That's nuts. Yeah, I heard them talking
2: about that on the broadcast of the Gateshead. It doesn't make any sense. I I was like, how the hell did that happen? June 26, 1408 was his time, and he got second. I Yeah, I'd love to hear the story behind that.
1: But do we know he's going all out? I mean, he got beat by almost two seconds in a 14.08 race. Uh, Any Spanish visitors, please email us, pod at letsrun.com. pod at letsrun.com. Let us know. But guys, we still got to get to the social media segment of the week with the intern, Carl, and great Cobbs Kessler interview. Anything else before we get there? go there?
2: No, I think we're ready. We'll bring on Carl and then uh, take you home with Hobbs.
0: Yep, this week in social media with the intern, Carl Winter. And because, hey, I can time travel. I know he breaks down the athletes bitching about the accommodations in Tokyo. And, hey, Usain Bolt's 800 meters. How did we not mention that till now? And also, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Johnson is being compared to the great Jerry Schumacher on a podcast Well, that's what Robert wants you to believe. Anyway, Carl talks about all of that. And then the one and only Hobbs Kessler after that. Until next week, guys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, our world-famous intern is back. He's now got a nickname, the German Missile. Carl Winter, the Let's Run.com intern, is here for this week in social media. Carl, how many endorsement deals have you signed this week?
5: none unfortunately i guess you guys need to sign me uh, as the first you know lrc athlete uh but maybe i can market that that nickname or maybe uh adidas will give me a deal if i run for germany with my uh, german citizenship so i'll have to i'll have to market myself a little bit better i think
0: now so for those of you guys who don't know carl the intern he's a, gonna be a senior at pepperdine he's run I'm funny, I'm dropping your time to 338, but I feel like you've only run 340. Is that correct?
5: 340. Yeah, that's that's the best mark I've got.
0: 340 for 1500. He beat, um, who'd you tell us you beat last week in races? Well, you beat Nigel Amos this year in a race, ladies and gentlemen. Nigel Amos, who won in Monaco in 143. Carl beat him in the 1500 earlier this year.
5: Yeah, 142.9 he ran. And yeah, I beat him... 342 to 344 in a 1500. So I think that's, that's my claim to fame there.
1: Perhaps more importantly for the younger generation, he beat Nico Young in high school Well, and that's who you could remember. Trashed him, just just destroyed him in a two mile. Carl is a couple years older, but still good victory there. He's got some, he's got uh, some good scalps on the resume. I just heard you say something, Carl, German citizenship. Please tell me that's not true. I would have never hired one of these sort of fake, well, I guess I hired Jonathan Gould, one of these fake Americans that sort of, loves to enjoy the, the beauty of America, but then run for another country or root for another country in soccer. What What is this about German citizenship?
5: I am a dual citizen, so I have a German passport, but don't worry. I'm I'm born and raised here in the U.S., but I guess, you know, John called it the, the back door. I could run for Germany if I want, so that's a big decision I'll have to make if I ever am good enough to run internationally. Should I run for Germany? And I... Hate to say it. I do root for Germany in international soccer competition, but usually they're big favorites against the United States. So I guess if they ever played in a world cup final or something, I'd root for the U S but that will never happen.
0: We should make a flow chart for this. Just show like when, how good you are and when someone abandons running for the United States, you could probably like, I'm pretty sure with artificial intelligence, you could tell, you know, you could decide like never going to be that good run for another country.
1: Well, What are your ties to Germany? Like are you Alexi Pappas? You've never set foot on the country yet. You're going to be representing them in the Olympics or do you actually have like close ties to the country?
5: I actually have been there uh, probably six or seven times, maybe five or six. I have family that lives there. I speak German, you know, semi-fluently and can get by there speaking it, the language as well. So it's, it's a little bit more strong than that. Uh, so I think I could get away with competing there and not just being a transplant. But I think I'd still train in the U.S. But yeah, that's the question. Do I want to try and make U.S. teams where I have a much slimmer chance? Or do I get to compete at world championships because I, I used this back door? We'll see. Maybe if I run 335, we'll have to make that decision.
0: All right, Carl, let's turn to social media. What do you got for us this week?
5: Well, let's start with just the athletes not being thrilled about the Olympic accommodations and the, the things that are changing so close to the Olympics, starting with the fact that there won't be any fans and that their families won't be able to watch them compete. But I've seen a number of things on Twitter. Uh, Katura Orgy tweeted, the Triple Jumper tweeted, no fans, no opening ceremony, no choosing roommates, no anything, and you have to leave 30 or 48 hours after you compete. Trayvon Bromel said something about the beds at the Olympics which are going to be made out of sustainable cardboard, but apparently they're small twin beds. Uh, Others in the media have humorously pointed out that they won't be giving out condoms at the Olympics, which has been a tradition for a number of years. Uh, And just basically the athletes are not thrilled about... The, the things that are changing so close to the games and that for the track athletes, it seems like they won't even be able to attend to the opening ceremony, which is always a big part of being an Olympian marching at the opening ceremony. But I, I think in general for track, you know, the Olympics are the only track meet where you can guarantee a full house and hundreds of thousands of fans over the 10 days of the meet. Uh, And we don't get to see that this year. And that makes these historic events that will no doubt happen somewhat anticlimactic. I guess we can't complain because we are getting an Olympics, but they seem to share our sentiment that it's, it's not fun to have these last minute changes. And I know you guys have dealt with these last minute changes too, in terms of the logistics of Tokyo.
1: Well, I love that tweet y'all had up on the screen there just a second ago. Keturah Georgi said, what would she say? No fans, no fans, no opening ceremony, no choosing roommates, no anything and leave 48 after 48 hours after you compete. And then Clayton Murphy retweets it, but he adds in business trip. I love that mindset. And that's why folks, despite these three quote unquote subpar races, I think Clayton Murphy may be winning Olympic gold in a few weeks.
0: Well, that's a bold claim there, Robert. Carl, I'm glad you brought this up because you said, Oh, we can't complain about it. Uh, this is let's run.com. Of course we can complain about it. We're just known for complaining. But I'm really hacked off with no fans. And I'm really wondering if this is going to diminish the Olympic experience. Because when the Olympics was, you know, we weren't sure we were going to have it. I remember saying, oh, just have it with no fans. And I was talking to Alan Abramson, who's written Michael Phelps' book, Apollo Ono's book. He's a big Olympic journalist. And he's like, the Olympics is about people coming together. The ceremonies are so much more than sport. And... So the opening ceremonies are out for all track and field athletes because I think the rules in place, now maybe they'll get around this, are, and we don't know, they haven't really made announcements if any any athletes are going to the ceremonies, but the rules are you're not supposed to go to the village until five days before you compete and you're supposed to leave two days after. So track and field starts the second week. So every track and field athlete is excluded from the opening ceremonies because of that. For the one-off Olympians, that really sucks. I mean, if I'm a one-off person and not really going there for a medal, I'm going for the ceremony. I mean, I want to compete, obviously, but, like, can you imagine?
2: Well, Weldon, can we clarify one thing, though? I agree. Like, for the first, for the people who are making that first Olympic team, marching in the ceremony, I'm sure, is a big part of it. And a lot of the basketball players would do it, too, and, you know, the American delegation will marches together, so they'll all try to see the basketball players and get a picture taken with them because they're all very famous. So, yeah, that's definitely, like, a real bummer. And then walking into the Olympic Stadium, a full Olympic Stadium, I mean, can you imagine how many experiences in your life? You're never going to get anything like that in the rest of your life. So that's a shame. But there is a perception out there that the Olympics, this is the one meet in our sport that still sells out everything. I don't know. I went to Rio. Not the case. Like, there were a couple nights where the stadium was full. Definitely for the 100-meter final for the men. Yes. But many of the other night sessions were not totally full. The morning sessions were like mostly empty. There was still, you know, there's still maybe 10,000 fans or something, but in like a 56,000 seat stadium, it wasn't great. So those morning finals were not well attended. And that was kind of a shattered my illusion of the Olympics. I thought the whole thing was going to be packed full and that just wasn't the case in Rio. And it's now it's not going to be the case in Tokyo at all, unfortunately.
3: Well, this
1: depends on the country that's hosting, the sports involved, whatever. John's got a good article about what this means without there being fans, but I don't want to hear these complaints. It's better than the alternative, which is no Olympics at all. So uh, is it going to take away from it? Yes, it's going to suck that you don't get to go into the opening ceremony. But what I've been saying about COVID-19 since the day it started is everyone is making a sacrifice. I, I don't – you know, you made the Olympics. You made the Olympics in the COVID year, so you didn't get to go into the uh, – in the opening ceremony. You tell your grandkids that people will understand Hell, the COVID delay may have helped you. You might not have made the Olympics if it was last year. I mean, that's certainly the case with, with some of these athletes in track and field. So uh, whatever the the, the, the NFL football seasons, the champions league last year, didn't have fans. People were still pretty pumped to win it. So I'm excited about the Olympics. Wish there were fans, but this is actually going to help Jonathan and I, because we'll be one of the few people in the stadium, assuming I get my passport and, I'll probably be coaching all these athletes. I'll be getting phone calls from the, from like Jerry and whatever in my Bluetooth earpiece. He says, pick it up. And I'll say, pick it up. You know, like that reminds me back in the day when Weldon was running at Stanford one year and I had John Kellogg on the cell phone, which is like one of the first cell phones that was ever invented like 2000, 2000, something like that. And Weldon was doing really well in this race. And he was like battling it out with NCAA cross country champion Keith Kelly, and they're up in the lead. There was like a mile to go, and I remember asking John, "What do I tell him?" And Weldon still gives me a hard time. John says, "Tell him to try to win the damn race." So I'm like, "Well then, John says to try to win it." Like, <laughs> like somebody needs to be told to win the race <laughs> in the final, you know, five percent of the race. But hey, I was inexperienced at the time.
0: Did he win the race? John, of course, did I mean that's like, does the sun come up?
2: That's great coaching, Rojo. You're one for one. all right. Shall we move on to what's topic number two that you've got for us call?
0: Wait, one thing on this though the beds the athletes are used to like the Trayvon Brumels of the world are used to staying at a nice hotel with a big bed. Now they're gonna be in these little twin beds. It's kind of different because a lot of the stars don't stay in the village, and this time they're going to have to. So I think that's different. And zero fans is crazy. And I may read an article on this. Last time I looked, professional baseball in Japan is still having 7, 10, 17,000 fans per game. If there can be fans at a baseball game, why can't we have fans at the Olympics? Please somehow reconsider.
1: I looked into that. When they last had a state of emergency, they stopped the fans for baseball. So I'm assuming that has stopped as well. But if they haven't, I'm going to take a cab to a baseball game. John may say that's not allowed. You're going to violate
2: our activity plan. You'll get deported, Robert.
1: It'll make me a bigger star, John. How do you think Clay Travis got his new gig?
2: Not getting deported from the Olympics, from what I understand. All right. Topic two.
5: Do we want to go to Usain Bolt here? Or Ro- or Rojo being compared to Jerry?
0: Okay. We can't pump up Robert's ego right now first. We definitely need to do the Usain Bolt. He ran at 800 meters yesterday. He did. And it... Was this live? I would have watched this. I mean, I, I'm really shocked that I missed it, but I'm hoping it wasn't live.
5: I think it was live streamed somewhere, but I don't think many knew about it. And it was it was essentially just a CarMax commercial. But Usain Bolt, we've been waiting for him to run an 800. He said at one point it, while he was running that he could actually run like 205. But instead, he runs 239 or 240, somewhere in that range. First lap was like a 74-ish. Second lap was more like an 85 It looked like he was jogging the whole way, but he also looked gassed at the end and lost to the CarMax customer who was trying to buy a car before he could finish an 800. So unfortunately, guys, I think the dream of him showing up heroically at the Olympics may be over because he looks a little chunky. And I I think that uh, this may be the end of Usain Bolt's career on the track.
1: I would have totally watched this live. Actually, yesterday I got on the message board and was trying to figure out when this race is. They didn't pump it up well. Like I would have rather watched this than – if he was going all out than the Gates at Diamond League. Yeah, he does look chunky, and, but he does have potential there. I, I, I'm not ruling him out, Carl. Look at that. He looks very – you know, looks like he's going like eight-minute pace, and he's actually running 520-mile pace. But I read that he only beat the girl by three – he lost to the girl by three seconds. So I imagine – was this like all rigged? Like they told him to run this certain pace to make sure that she would do the app faster because it makes the app look good. I wonder how much money he made.
2: Well, wow, Robert, I think you're right. The fix is in. Normally, I think Rojo's conspiracy theories are kind of insane, but this one, you know, they, I think their claim was, like, normally they get their cases set, settled within, like, two minutes. You get a quote within two minutes, but maybe they're like, hey, we've been having some problems, or, like, she did it in a test run, and it was, like, two minutes 30, so they just told them to run a specific pace. I don't, that makes me want to believe that's the case, because I, I would rather not believe that Usain Bolt can only run 240 for 800 meters.
1: Did she get a car for doing it? She looks kind of nervous as she's filling out this form. We're watching a video for those of you wondering what we're looking at.
0: Clearly, CarMax needs to talk to the Drink Elementee people. You can check out in under a minute. com slash let's run. Free sample pack on your way. You can check out in one minute. I've done it. $5 shipping. I will refund your money if you don't like it.
2: She celebrated when she got the quote before Bolt crossed the finish line. She she was pumped up. I mean, does that count as a Usain Bolt quote? Sorry, a Usain Bolt scalp?
5: I think the race we need to see now is Fat Usain Bolt against Fat David Rudisha because we were hoping one or the other would show up to the Olympics this year out of nowhere, and it didn't happen. And, you know, that was the speculation when they were both competing who would win in like a 500 between them or a 400. But now, I guess maybe they run a 600 and see what, uh, what they can do.
0: All right. Let's pump Robert's ego more. You have a Jerry Schumacher, David Melly, Robert Johnson update.
5: I, I do. I, I, wouldn't say that it's the greatest way to be compared to Jerry, but but Woody Kincaid was on David Mellie's podcast and it was a good conversation. Woody said a few interesting things, how Bowerman's going to Hawaii and how he, before the Olympics, how he views the guys on his team in terms of maturity rather than age. And he also said he wanted Shalane Flanagan to be his marathon coach if he moves up to the marathon but he was, he was talking about his relationship with Jerry and how it can be kind of an antagonistic and love-hate. And then all of a sudden Rojo's name comes up and David Mellie says, I, it's funny you say that, Robert Johnson, Rojo of Let's Run Fame, was my coach freshman year of college at Cornell. And we had a very similar relationship, very antagonistic about any number of subjects. But I feel like that is our love language. Fighting all the time is how we connect. And so you did get compared to Jerry there. And, and later, David Mellie also asked... Woody Kincaid, if he reads Let's Run, and he said he did after the trials and wasn't thrilled about what he saw on the message boards. But I can imagine with, with all the Shelby Houlihan BTC talk going around that he wouldn't be thrilled about that.
1: There you have it, folks. I'm compared to Jerry Shoemaker as I should be. I don't think Jerry was as successful as a college coach as I was. I doubt that he was part of 13 conference title teams in the span of 10 years like I was. You know what we were trying to do, we did at an incredibly high rate.
2: Wait, wait, wait! I was told that you were trying to qualify for cross country nationals, and if you didn't, you would resign. Did that ever happen, Robert?
1: No, I said. Uh, you know, I part of a big part of college coaching is marketing and recruiting. I said on a and A that Weldon did with me, and let's run. And if I didn't have a top ten team in the country, I would offer my resignation. And I did offer my boss a resignation. He, he denied it. We were a track school and we focused on track and we dominated the league. It's actually interesting about David. I mean, I, I think that he's a really interesting kid in, in the sense of, I don't know what, exactly what he's talking about. You do kind of have to push kids' buttons. I didn't do that with him. He just likes to talk. I mean, he's still talking on podcasts. So, yeah, for people who don't know who David is,
0: he's got a podcast called Run Your Mouth. Runyourmouthpod.com.
1: He likes to run my mouth. I like to run my, to to run mine. The, the difference was I was pulling up to, to to practice after turning off the Rush Limbaugh show sometimes. And David's pretty much far left, but I found him fascinating to talk to. He's you know had an open mind at the time about what I was wanting to tell him. I've sent him some books since he's graduated about interesting things. I really think identity politics is destroying this country, and have tried to get David to sort of get the left wing in check, but. Uh, Anyways, Jerry Schumacher, you heard it there, folks, right there. I have this. I pushed the buttons just like them. But I've I, you know I've I've been coaching. Well, actually my comparison wasn't gonna work.
0: Carl, do you think Jerry has his passport for well, I guess Jerry can't go to Tokyo, but I bet you he'd have his passport in order. And then Carl, next week we'll do an expose on how Robert's microphone never works before the podcast. And so the, Carl, stay tuned. I hope you're you know writing these things down, your pay will probably be doubled. You'll have to keep Robert silent.
5: Yeah. Jerry doesn't even bother with that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I think maybe I, you know, sometimes on this podcast, the, the microphone is telling Robert to do the same.
1: I need an in-person intern to like, you know, keep my passports and check and.
2: Handle the duties of being an adult.
5: I do have one more thing for you guys before I have to actually off to weights. So I have an update on name, image, and likeness from my compliance director who I talked to about, Cole Hawker. And, and she said that Nike could send him a contract that says, you're going outside of your collegiate activities, you are a Nike athlete, and we'll give you a million dollars because that's what your market value is to us. We will give you a million dollars to wear our gear in unattached races or when he's training on his own or post things on social media. They could do that. But again, it, it would come down to the the contract, the nuances of performance bonuses and appearance fees, those type of things could not be in that contract. But as long as it follows Oregon state law or wherever he is, theoretically, this this could work out where you could be a professional athlete and a collegiate athlete. It would just come down to the nuances. And I know John talks to Hobbs Kessler about this later, but... You know, these things are still being figured out by people like Cole Hawker and Hobbs Kessler. And I don't think, again, we're at the point where nobody really knows exactly how it'll look.
0: So there you have it. Adidas, On, Nike, Hoka, whoever. You guys can sign Carl. Carl, I think a million might be a little high for you. 500,000. 500,000.
5: I'll take 500,000. My school's sponsored by ASICS, but my my compliance director did confirm that I could sign with another company and just not wear it in a, in Pepperdine events and races. So we'll see. Haven't gotten any offers yet, but I'm fielding offers right now. My My DMs are open. My My contact information, you can find me.
0: That was smart. ASICS used to dominate special running team. They've fallen off. If they want to get big, they had to partner with you and us at the same time. There it is right there.
5: Sounds good. Yeah, I do need I need Asics to, to sponsor me, and maybe we'll we'll this podcast will help my name, image, and likeness, and I'll start making money off of it more than the minimum wage you guys are paying me now. That's false. That is false. Minimum wage in California.
0: Oh, is it? Oops. <laughs> Someone can figure that out. Wow, very progressive state. Yes, we believe in paying our interns, paying our interns. All right, Carl, go hit those weights. You know, if you're running like 350 next year, it better be for the mile, not for 1500 if you want to get the endorsement deal.
5: Sounds good. See you guys next week.
2: Okay, now in our final guest, Hobbs Kessler. You all know who he is. High school 1500 meter record holder, pro athlete with Adidas. He was named the Gatorade. National Track and Field Athlete of the Year,
4: and we've got an interview with
2: him right now.
4: Okay, so first off, what have you been up to the last couple weeks since the Olympic Trials?
6: Well, I just kind of been hanging out. Uh, I'm like kind of on my, I'm taking like a nice, nice month long break. Uh, I've been, I've been doing, trying to pace and through their workouts, but that's pretty much all the running I've been doing, and yeah, just hanging out, laying laying low, trying to uh, let everything that occurred this season soak in and kind of get comfortable where with, like, my position now and where I'm at in running.
4: Obviously, one of the big things that happened to you in the last month is you signed that pro deal with Adidas. What was the first thing you bought with the money, or have you made a first purchase yet?
6: Uh, yeah, so when, when I was a freshman, like, I was, I was like, whenever I get – like the money i'm looking to get a lego set so i got a star wars lego set and that like that like scratched my my itch for uh for buying buying stuff but yeah a lego, a lego and imperial shuttle that I, I built and i was really excited about
4: well that's awesome i want to say that the first thing that noah Lyles did when he got his contract a few years ago was also buy a lego set so i think you're in good company there
6: yeah, I mean, no, no, no. Allows is the man, so I'll, I'll take it.
4: So, you told Chris Chavez after the Portland Track Festival that there was a very slim chance that you would turn pro. Uh, so, I, I'm just curious, what changed between then and you signing the deal with Adidas?
6: Um, I, I would say like, I, I, I realized like more of the position I was in, and like kind of my, my, my stock was high, and um, I talked to a lot of people um, that I like Nick and Ron and Mason, of course, but also uh, Drew Hunter and Kevin Sullivan and stuff. I, I consulted a lot about it, and, and they were super helpful, um, and both people I really respect in, in making that decision. So after talking to them, the, it it became more clear, and then also talking to the Mike Smith at NAU and stuff, and he came and watched my state meet and and visited. So uh, talking to him and all, so all these people I really trust, uh, giving giving me advice like kind of kind of changed because even now like I still kind of lack perspective on how it was. So talking to people that had better perspective on on where I was at uh, really helped and 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 the opportunity to stay with Ron is like the best thing ever because like we we have such a good relationship and, and what we're doing is really working. So losing him as like a mentor and, um, I don't, I don't know if the friend's the right word, but he's, he's besides my folks, he's probably like the close am to any adult. So, uh, losing that relationship and with Nick and Mason in that situation was really scary for me. So also I'm like super glad to still be in that spot where I can still be with them.
4: Yeah. You know now the trials uh, behind you, I mean, do you think it was the right decision? Do you think your value might have gone down a little bit, considering you didn't make the final at the trials?
6: I don't know how those two companies operate, but uh I don't know i don't I don't think I was any any worse of a runner after after I had a rough race but okay. um I don't know i'm 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 happy with er- the way everything worked out and glad to have a clear path on how stuff worked out, but uh, yeah, I, and I think that race is just kind of like, all the change in the season catching up to me, and I just didn't really have the poise to be able to, to be competitive. I was just a little flat emotionally.
4: You had a lot of uh, big races, and you know, even getting to the trials as an 18-year-old is pretty phenomenal.
6: Yeah, It's um, more, the, more the change throughout the season. That fatigued me, like, getting more comfortable with where I was. Like, I just Kept kind of being in a different world and trying to catch up mentally, so all that. But I don't know. I'm 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 really happy with the way everything worked out, and and um, really really proud to have signed with the DS. And yeah. those guys have treated me really well so far.
4: How long is your contract?
6: Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, but uh, so I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble.
4: Okay. I don't,
6: I, I don't know the exact non-disclosure stuff, but.
4: Gotcha. Are we? Th- I mean, is this? Is it multiple Olympic cycles? Can you say that you think?
6: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm gonna avoid getting in trouble. Like the first month of signing.
4: Okay. Just one more question on the the contract. I know you said you know you can't talk specific, but you know some of the people have been talking around like uh, pretty big numbers for it. I'm curious, like the value of the contract. Is it large enough that you wouldn't have to work again once the contract's over?
6: Um. I don't know, I guess I guess that depends on how I manage it. Luckily I I've had uh I like my I've had my folks and stuff, like and a lot of a lot of adults I really trust, like kinda guide me guide me through the managing. But um I I think uh I I've seen like T T pain like lost went from like forty million to broke. So I don't I don't think unless you're like super smart about it it's it's necessarily safe. But uh um I'm glad to be in the position I'm in.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, So the NCAA, they just passed these new name, image, and likeness rules. Have you inquired at all about whether it would still be possible to run for NAU, you know, even though you have this pro contract with the loosening of these restrictions?
6: Yeah, I haven't really looked into them at all. And I, I, I would assume, I think your contract would have to be written around those rules. But, and mine isn't, but... I'm not, I'm really happy with the path I'm, I'm on right now. And um, still we have coach Smith and coach cornfield and a lot of guys on the team in my life. Um, so I'm, I'm not super worried about it, but if, if someone, if, if by some uh, miracle I can, that I'd love to run cross country with them. That'd be amazing.
4: Yeah. When do you I'm not have to, when do you have to? Um,
6: so I'll go in mid August. I, I still don't know when yet exactly because it changed now that I'm not an athlete. Uh, Got to give them a the call later today, but I sh- luckily I still get to be in the, the dorm with some of my fellow signees, which I'm super excited about.
4: And will you get to train with them when you're out there?
6: Still trying to figure that out. We don't want to disobey any NCAA rules. And I, uh-huh. I really those guys have done a lot to look out for me. So the last thing I'd want to do is to get them in trouble with the NCAA. But luckily there's like a, a really big community and Flagstaff staff that to run with and train with and um, older people to look out for me. So uh,
3: Mm
4: -hmm.
6: I'm confident no matter what works, like I'll find people.
4: And the way I understand your arrangement is you're just planning on taking classes for the fall and then you'll be back in Ann Arbor for the spring and summer. Is that how you plan on doing this for the next, few years?
6: I have no idea. I'm just I so much has happened, I'm just trying to get through this year and letting the dust settle and, and seeing what what happens. But um that's the plan for this year at least. And if that goes well and I respond well to elevation and all that, um I'll probably do it again. And if it, if I have a bad time or don't respond well to elevation or stuff like that, um I might need to find a different route. But I right now I don't know.
4: Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes sense to me. And one thing I wanted to ask, the U.S., they're not sending a team to the the World Under-20 Championships this year in Kenya, but if they had been, would, is that a meet you would have been interested in running?
6: Maybe. It might have been a little too far out for, for the season, um, and I might have been a, li- a little mentally tired, but uh, I don't know because it's not happening, but... I also don't know how I would have done if, if the meet's going to be at elevation in Kenya or not, um, How well? I, because I've never been at elevation for a long time, or I've never ran hard at elevation. So that, that would be something to, to worry about if it was happening. But right now, I, I don't know whether I would have. It would have been fun to go and, and try, race for a medal, but yeah, who knows? We have, to, we have just asked for one
4: more question. That's great. This is going to be my last question. So do you have any, any goals in mind for 2022? Have you set them yet?
6: I've set a few. I've, the biggest one is I would like to make the, the 2022 team um, in Eugene.
4: Well, that's a good one. Good note to end on. Hobbs, again, congrats, congrats on winning Gatorade Athlete of the Year. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you at the track at some point next year. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. And remember, go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run to get electrolytes without the junk. Free sample pack sent your way $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I'll personally refund your money.